and welcome to episode 111 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stan, so last week Dave was saying that we, we couldn't stop at episode 110, uh, I think 111, perfect time to stop. I think we could just call it, we call it here. This is the best episode to go out, go out on. Modern's dead. We can just go all back to, uh, to draft and standard. Yeah. Just, you know, the other day Shane's like, gosh, should we be a standard podcast now? And Dave <laughs> well, was, that was like, that was not, no. a, that was not a realistic suggestion. I don't know. That I, was uh, can we also play standard because I like playing on arena. I don't know what you're capable of Shane. Also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Guys, we cannot outrun these tricks. And these traps. It doesn't matter what <laughs> format we go to. I lost to Tibble's trickery in draft the other day. <laughs> what? No, I'm kidding. The present beware. I the did. future beware. Because they countered your spell? Yeah. He countered my spell and it made a, a worse spell and then I lost. On this week's episode, we reckon with what's happened to our favorite format. Reconsider some of our tempered thoughts from last week with much more panicked, terrified thoughts this week. Is Modern broken? Is Cascade broken? Is Bant Spirits the one deck that can save us all? All this and more after a word from our sponsors. Shout out to the news patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Wander Yak and Blake W. So they're, they're our sponsors, right? This week they are. The patrons, our weekly sponsors. They're so much more than our sponsors. Yeah, they're, they're the community. Exactly. The wonderful community of fellow magic enthusiasts that we have been so fortunate to be a part of for the last couple of years. Um, and if you would like to join that community, come and check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down where uh, joining will get you access to our super secret Slack server where we talk about all kinds of stuff. And let me tell you, it's been hot in there the last week as we all <laughs> watch in shock and awe the Super Bowl. Oh man, that was boring. Oh, I'm sorry. We have to call it the big game on here. <laughs> the, the big, the big game. Yeah. Uh, other ways you can at least support us financially a little bit. You can head over to manatraders.com. Uh, the premier way to rent cards on Magic Online. And again, trust me, you want to be running cards right now because evaluations are crazy dynamic. Uh, I, I I don't even know how I would purchase a Tybalt slash Valky right now. Anyway, I, I'm I think that Mana Traders bought them all, and I think they each cost one Bitcoin right now. One bit. So take your bits, go over to manatraders.com. I assume they do accept Dogecoin, Bitcoin, other cryptos. I'm not sure about that, but you can convert them into US dollars and then do that. Use sign up code, the dive down, all one word for 15% off your first three months. You can also check out Untapped, the arena tracking software at untapped.thedivedown.com, which will take you over to their website. If you download Untapped there, we get a little bit of a kickback. Good software. We use it. You should use it too if you play arena. It has a collection tracker now. Oh man, that's great. I think as of today, it had a little upgrade. That's like one one fewer reason I have to go to a uh, slightly Slight competitor website. I don't have to go there anymore now. That's good. Oh, and uh, Stan, with that out of the way, that's what you say, right? You, with that out of the way, <laughs> let's head over to Stan on the news desk. I mean, that's, that's your intonation too, right? On the news desk. Wow. There's Stanislav. I've never heard anyone do an impression of me, so it's it's funny not, not to hear once. you try. It was great. It was like I was with two stands suddenly. It was really weird. A dream come true for you, Dave. I know. Don't lie. Stan. Yes. What is going on? Yes. 
Yes. All right. Modern is pretty contentious right now, as we know. And oh, you think so? It's at least my opinion that it is, yes. And since we're focusing on some of the format's craziest decks during the dive down, I thought it would be important to look at the weekend's modern results to provide a little high-level context for the format and the metagame recently. So I'm going to jump right in, starting with Saturday's modern challenge. I'm going to look at the top eights from Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, first place, Smoke and Bacon, 27 on Jund, dot, 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 Valky. Hmm. So this... This is the deck, 11 main deck Cascade spells for Valky. It's got some Simeon Spirit Guides. It has eight Blood Moon effects, including Magus, Season Pyromancer, Bone Crusher Giant, Maelstrom Pulse, period. Yeah, that's a deck. I suppose it should be mentioned that three of the Cascade spells are uh, Bloodbraid Elves. So that's not that's that's just a value cascade there. I, I have more to say about this deck later on this week. Maybe they call it a tease. I think we might have lots to say about this this deck in various permutations later. Right? Am I right? Am I wrong? That's also a tease. Yeah. Second place, Tia ninety three on four color Uro. It's your standard Omnath Field of the Dead Planeswalkers and control spells. We know it. We hate it. You cannot deny that we know it. Third place, Bayist 93. I wonder if they're related to Tia. On five color, Valky Control. Now only eight Cascade spells, but they also have main deck, three mana Teferi, Supreme Verdicts, Force of Negations, also Commandeer, and a bunch of split cards such as Warrant Warden and Far and Away. Until I spoke to Dave today, I had no idea what these cards were doing in the deck. Dave, what are these split cards doing in the deck? They're being sneaky. (laughs) And they're being sneaky because they are cards that let you have low mana cost interaction, but they do not trigger cascade if you cascade into them. And so... Which is crazy. This is like a have your cake and eat it too type situation. Yeah. We cascade into these, but not these. Yes. Far, like, because far costs two, but away costs three. So apparently, just because away is on the card, you can't cascade into it or something. No, like it's that. because it's because split cards are the total. Oh, mana. it's a combined CMC. Yeah. Yes, so the, that's how the, it works. Like, yes. Yeah. In any other zone, it's Warrant Warden is seven. It's not two. Uh, but not flip cards, just split cards. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? So this deck trying to cheat out Tybalt. Again, as early as turn one, we still have some main deck win conditions, including Brazen Bower. Bone Crusher Giants. These are also cards that don't get cast off of Cascade spells. Right. So you have yep. a little interaction as well as like an ostensible beatdown if you need it. Yeah, like Brazen Borrower can bounce a non-land permanent. So you can return something like a, you know, if you cast if your opponent cascades into Tybalt, you bounce that back with a petty theft. They're stuck either casting out a Valky or waiting to like naturally cast a Tybalt, which aren't great options for the opponent. So Brazen Borrower is is good disruption and interaction. Sure is. I mean, I will say, and maybe we'll talk about this a lot more going on forward from here, but it's impressive the amount of thought and trickery that has gone into these decks already. Just finding the edges, filling in the little corners with Spackle and, and moving on, like iterating on a really powerful engine to make it even better. Yeah, it's been a fast week. It's if if you don't pay attention to the, you know, Twitterverse and what's happening in the modern leagues and the modern challenges and things like that like, you know, we're paid to do, uh you can you can miss how quickly 
these decks have, have been changing. Like if you look at just one week ago and even like Saturday to Sunday, you see a somewhat significant shift in how people are building and succeeding with these decks. It's wild. Fourth place, Remf on Bant Spirits. Our spooky friends are back, featuring a couple main deck Teferi Time Ravelers, as well as main deck Eidolon of Rhetoric. You gotta have it. Can't cast more than one spell each turn. Yeah, not only do these cards help against the Cascade deck, but I also think Spirits has a decent matchup in general, thanks to Mausoleum Wanderer in particular, and Spell Queller also. Yeah, Queller's good. Queller, um, we'll see it in other decks uh, for reasons I think we can dissect then. Fifth place, Nuge on Boros Burn. Very stock. Sideboard now has Deafening Silence and Roiling Vertex to help against some of these Cascade shenanigans. I mean, I will point out that for skull crack is not typically stock but i think it's necessary right now in order for burn i think right now is trying is trying to get under a lot of these sort of mid-rangey uh valky slash tybalt style decks and stan we were talking actually right before we recorded this podcast is you still have the four color Uro Omnath decks to contend with, and you have to stop their life gain with Skull Crack, and then, like you mentioned, the Roiling Vortex in the side. Yeah, the Roiling Vortex, it has this line of text that is finally very relevant, whereas if a spell was cast for no mana, it deals five damage to that spell's controller. Oh man, that wasn't even what I was thinking of. That's perfect. That's great. It's very nice. And, Double duty. And, and the, you know, pay a red, can't gain light this turn clause can be relevant in several matchups as well. Hey, we predicted that there was some way that that five damage would come into play in modern, and here it is. Sixth place, card wielding cat on mono white taxes. Also pretty stock list. I think this deck can also prey on Cascade a little bit, thanks to Thalia in particular, and Archon of Amiria especially. Archon sh- shuts down Cascade pretty much entirely, and then Thalia can put this huge mana text on the combo, making it almost unexecutable by the time that Kes, by the time that the taxes deck is you know really wheeling and dealing and swinging with uh big flyers or you know in some cases batter skulls yeah and uh cave dan of faithless brewing fame mentioned something that i ne- did not think about in taxes as well which is flicker wisp that is if you flicker tibble with flicker wisp uh it comes back as valky right because it's the front side why would you do that? Well, no, because if someone has, if, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, if someone has if someone has a resolve Tybalt, then you kind of just get rid of it with Flicker Wisp, and it comes back as little meek old Valky, who's not very good. Right on. Hey, speaking of Cave Dan, mm-hmm. seventh place, Cave Dan. Speak of the devil. Four color Valky. Congrats to friend of the show Dan Shriver from Faithless Brewing. I'm sure you've heard of Dan and Co. Pretty similar to the other four color Valky deck we talked about, except Dan cut all the split cards for main deck Mystical Disputes, Hour of Promise, Omnath, and Salundi Vision. It's got a Singleton Field of the Dead. Seems like a pretty good card. Yeah. He's tuning for the mirror. Look out, everybody. We're already tuning for the mirror. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's going to tune and, and brew in this meta, it's going to be Cave Dan. I think, he, I, think I read that. He was playing something like five leagues already just in the past few days. So, you know, the guy grinds. Eighth place, parts to win, also on burn. So the rest of the top 32 on Saturday was was a pretty diverse modern grab bag. We did have other Cascade decks, but there was no shortage of some of modern's usual offenders. We had Heliod, Combo, Dredge, Prowess, Rakdos, Midrange. There was even a Blue Moon deck, and Merfolk made it in the top 32. So kind of a, a decent mix of reasonable decks there. 
Let's look at Sunday, however. <clears throat> what happened on Sunday? Well, Doom Switch won, which isn't crazy. <laughs> Doom, Doom Switch, with, not Doom Wake. That's right. Doom Switch, one notable of the, control player. One of the Doom players won on four-color Valky. This is the control version, but now with four Uro, it's got a couple of Omnath, Force of Negations, Teferi, Cryptic Command, all the lands that people hate that come with those Uro decks. For sure. I think this is one of the... This is one of the versions of this deck I think we'll probably have to dissect more in just a little bit after we get through this top eight. Sure, we can try. But let me give you the headline. On Twitter, Doomswitch said this was the best control deck they had ever played. It That's ha- saying something. Yes. It has very strong all the good cards in modern right now energy. You cascade into Tybalt, or you can play Uro, or you can play Teferi, and great counterspells that you can cycle back with Mystic Sanctuary. Ooh. Second place, Yu Yan, on the same deck, but no Uros or Field, just uh, another instance of Valky Cascade Control, essentially. Yeah, I mean, they're not running any Omnath, no Uros. That's a pretty significant difference in terms of what your mid to long game plan looks like. Four Wraths, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still have Teferi and Force Negation and Supreme Verdict, so they have, you know, a control strategy. Oh, yeah. Third place, Mussy 99 on Blue-Green Wilderness Reclamation. So there's nothing to cascade here, just a pile of control spells, Uro, Ice Fang, and Wilderness Wreck. Hey, look, it's the it, first sighting of snow duels for me in a modern deck. Well, it's just a one-of, right? Uh, there's there's two one-ofs, which is kind of what I thought people would, would do with this to bring back your Ice Fang Quaddle. There's a blue-white one and a blue-green one. Oh, yeah, Glacial Floodplain. Remember that name. Four, fourth place, Nico, Nico, Nico on Jund Shadow. Fast, disruptive. Maybe they can get under Uro, but we didn't see a lot of other Jun Shadow decks in the weekend results. So maybe Nico, Nico, Nico just had a hot run. I'm not sure if we have enough data to suggest that this is a, a favorite deck against what's happening right now. Yeah. Hey, remember last week when there were four different uh, Shadow decks in the top eight of the event we talked about? Mm-hmm. And now, bye bye. Fifth place, Oscar Frank on Blue Black Mill. So I played against the Mill deck and realized that if they surgical your Cascade spells, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, especially it, this does a lot of work against the decks with narrower win cons. Like if if you don't have an Arrow and an Omnath and stuff like that, like if they surgical your Valky, works really well. I think that this deck does a good job. Uh, I'll talk about this in a little bit too. I think it does a good job of putting a clock on opponents who can't interact with what it's doing and also has good tools to fight against decks that have a few powerful spells and then some air that's trying to get those powerful spells. Sixth place, Katsu Wasimak on Merfolk. Merfolk. Azorius Merfolk. Yeah, it's got a little Azorius in the sideboard, but it's basically your standard aggro beatdown, but it can shut down some mana with Spreading Seas. It also has main deck force negations and spell pierce. Kind of seems like a decent meta call with the force and the spell pierces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a uh, any also deck a curse catcher. Yeah, any deck that can run one mana spell disruption and force negation, I think is going to be potential to have a moment right now. Yeah, this deck certainly doesn't have lack of blue cards to pitch to force. Is this legacy now? I play blue cards because I can pitch them to force. Pretty much. Seventh place, Lava Ridge on Valky Cascade Control. So this is the version with split cards, but no Field of the Dead or Uros. Mm-hmm. And then eighth place, Pedro Gush on Hammer Time. Bang, bang, Pedro Silverhammer got him in eighth place. Nothing weird about Sweet. this build. 
by the way, just a normal, yeah, normal one. Although this is this is one that has Shadow Spear and Swift Foot boots as well, which was a little bit less uh, frequent. What about the rest of the top thirty-two, Stan? All right, so this top thirty-two looked a, a little worse than the last one. Sunday's top thirty-two had thirteen Valky decks compared to just five on Saturday. Same split, I believe, for Euro decks. It was thirteen and five uh, more so on Sunday. Pretty big shift day to day. Yeah, and it it almost feels like news broke. Four color Valky control is insane, and people came in hordes. Yeah. So let me add, look the math here, Stan. Just to be clear, two top thirty-two is sixty-four total decks right Eight, 18 total valky decks according to your count so more than 25 percent of the challenge top 32s were valky decks yes cool 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 and there's like 2.5 flavors right there's the jund valky and then there's this four color valky and then the four color valky some of them have uro some of them do not did you think that when you started looking at this like it, coming last week into this week did you think that valky was going to be the one that this was going to happen with or did you think we were going to have 25 percent Tibble's trickery decks because yes. by my count were there how there were no triple uh trickery decks in the top 32s right there in the top two. eights anyway sorry there's the none eights. in the top eight there was one each day there's one each day okay okay yep <laughs> let's wrap it up i mean look yeah dave I, I mean i don't even know what the rest of this episode is about if it's not about <laughs> i mean the rest of this episode is like we played you know a little bit. we played these decks I mean, what are we going to talk about now? The meta has has a lot of them. Valky has really blown everybody up today. Cascade is on everybody's mind right now, which is a mechanic that we kind of knew is already broken. Like, how much do you want to talk about now? How much do you want to talk about when we talk what we talk about when we talk about decks? You know what I'm saying? Well, I think we can. I think we can and should talk some here up front, right? Because I think there's some funny stuff here for sure, and then. I think there are ways that there are strengths and weaknesses of these decks that exist in the way they exist right now. And people are trying to continue to leverage the strengths and alleviate the weaknesses. I think there's some natural weaknesses in terms of the decks that people can play as well against them. And then I think there's some discussion that we can have in terms of should there be rule changes or should there be ways in which that you know cascade and cards that can be cascaded into might need to be tweaked or something like that so i don't know like one of the things i want to talk about up front though is tybalt and maybe this is kind of setting a little bit of the table for the rest of our discussions and i want to help i want to understand with the help of you two like what's driving this huge push towards him because i feel like tibble is funny and that it's 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 not always getting you cards that win the game right like it's not it's not so crazy that it can take over every game by itself like i mentioned this flaw in in the past when we've talked about cards that draw your opponent's cards right and how in a format format like standard, you can imagine that most opponents are going to like likely be winning through creature combat and or removal spells or interaction spells. And there's more similar or similar type of pieces between those decks. But in a format like modern, a lot of these decks have their own engine pieces that don't have high individual value and they're kind of just useless for you. Here's what it, here's what it is about to build. You can get him out as early as turn one, and then he's drawing 
you two extra cards per turn. So, yes. so as early as turn two, I guess, yeah, no, turn one even, like, you're immediately just like, your card advantage engine is insane. And when you talk about drawing your opponent's cards, that includes their lands. Right. You can yes. play their resources. So you're never down on resources. You can get their win cons, or you can use your own win conditions if you're running the Euro deck. There's there's still just a lot of pieces in these decks that are designed to then power out those early Tybalt's, right? So like, okay, oh, great. I got a Simeon Spirit Guide from my deck and you know maybe a Simeon Spirit Guide from my opponent's deck. And sure, that's a 2-2 that you drew for three, right? So it's okay, cool, I drew this card. Um, but I don't necessarily, I've had plenty of experiences with Tybalt where it was just like, okay, I'm drawing these cards, I'm not good cards. And like, and the way I had to build my deck around it to support it didn't necessarily make me feel awesome in doing so. And I have more kind of about the how Tybalt felt in the deck that I played later. But I was curious if you, you know, is it just the fact that like, yeah, it just drawing cards is always good, even if they're not great cards. I'm just getting more resources. Well, I mean, don't forget the the minus on Tybalt though, which is and the minus just, is very good. You just kill a you kill creature or or an artifact. And the thing that's really interesting about the way Tybalt's stat lines line up is that it's not super vulnerable to haste creatures. So you you can play Tybalt, and if they have a creature that you're worried about, you kill it. And then you can cast that creature later, by the way, because yeah. when you exile a card with That's Tybalt, you cast it. You can cast it. Um, if they don't have a threat out, you can plus two it, and if they were to drop a haste threat on like turn two... They can't kill it with the haste threat. So it's not like they can drop Swift Spear and bolt kill Tybalt because he got five loyalty. He's got seven loyalty. So I think that's part of the problem too, is that he's super duper resilient to any kind of interaction early in the game. And so you just snowball. I mean, I think that's tempting to say, but I think there are plenty of decks that can feast on early Tybalt. Like if, especially if you're mulling to like try to power out an early Tybalt and you are left with no interaction that is under, you know, two CMC at the very best and things like that. I think there's a lot of ways that you can be punished even with a Tybalt up at seven because other decks are just getting online faster than you are for sure. But I, I think that's why we are seeing these decks shift to have other pieces and parts and threats in them like this four color uro omnath valky deck right like that's something like this is this is not necessarily a good something it's just it's something like it's got the fast mana of simian spirit guide it has the efficient crazy mid-range threats of uro and omnath it leverages the cascade spells and their bizarre mdfc interaction to cheat out valky like it has what could be seen as the best or worst aspects of modern. Yeah, the double sleeve versions of modern. Well, I think this is the deck that is actually scary now because this is the one that least intent incentivizes you to mulligan toward a cascade spell. Because if you just have, you yes. know, two to three lands and an Uro or a Teferi or some counter magic, like that's a keep. And then you're either going to draw into Valky or into a cascade spell. And either of those is going to be a good, card off the top of your deck yeah i think you have you have more gas and you have more stuff to do that's not built solely around like a, a somewhat narrow game plan like i i just want a fast tybalt 
or I just want in the case of like the Jun deck that one on Saturday is like I, I can maybe get a Blood Moon type effect down really quickly and hope to cheese you out that way. Mm-hmm. These decks are are interesting in that they're able to present threats that must be dealt with and also pack the interaction that stops their opponent from in- enacting their game plan. You know, with especially something like like Teferi Three, right? Like this is so egregious because. <laughs> It lets you enact your Tybalt game plan by bouncing any like hate creature or hate artifact or hate enchantment with the minus. Then you can get your cascade spell down and that gets your Tybalt down. But then also when Teferi is on the battlefield, your opponents obviously can't cascade into that because your Teferi negates the the cascade effect and so it's doing double duty for you so like you can just race to like an early Teferi on turn two or something like that and just say hey try to cascade now friend yeah it feels like the version of the deck that was designed to beat the mirror and then turned out being just the superior deck by accident oops best deck yeah I mean it's crazy to see the evolution even just from Saturday to Sunday like like what is this indicative of like the future where this makes me think of like uh, the Phoenix meta of two years ago, right? Where it's like, okay, I can't pack Gutshot anymore because I have to pack Surgical Extraction or something like that. Yeah. And but it's it, like, is this the kind of thing? It took us th- three months to exactly. get to I that mean, it, phase it took of much Phoenix. Longer, not one week. Yeah. I mean, this is like days into it. I mean, there's, there's so much more story to see what's going to happen here if they let it go now. I mean, again, we're going totally freeform with this episode right now because we're jumping like to final conclusions. But like, uh, I don't think they're going to let this stay around very long. I guess we'll see. Something feels like has to change. The the problem is when we talk about what's not going to stay around very long, is it cards or rules? I mean, I think that's kind of the hanging question. Yeah. And and the rule is what? Like that the cascade should only look at the front side of a, the card and not look at the back side type thing. Like we already have a rule for they they changed the rules for, for split cards, right? Like split cards used to be able to cascade into like a boom bust and cast the more expensive half of the card, right? Right. And you and you can't do that any longer. Correct. Yeah. Now we need to do the other do it to these other things as well maybe. I I don't know. I mean, how like I mean, this is just weird. Like, it's just weird. (laughs) I mean, we haven't talked about the fact that this won the Pioneer Challenge. This version of it won the Pioneer Challenge, I think, this week. Or it won it last week in the hands of Canister. I don't remember if it won it again this week. It it won the Legacy Challenge as well, a deck that's not that unsimilar, dissimilar from this list, which had, like, Oko in it as well. So it was Oko and Tybalt and a whole bunch of annoying stuff. Like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, this is this is this is it's Oko level, right? In terms of the power you're getting for three mana. It's just interesting that the hoops that you have to jump through to enable this strategy apparently aren't that bad. Like it's like it's it's just like, hey, you can't run two mana spells on you know on the upper right corner. Oh no, not my mana leak. <laughs> but but <laughs> or your path to exile even. I bent you're, my you're, remand. You're fine doing that, apparently. You're good to go. Uh, it's not only that. You're also running Ardent Plea in your deck. Right. You're running Ardent Plea in your deck, and you are happy about it. Who saw that coming in 2021? Not this guy. <laughs> um, What do you think 
There's options, right? I think there's options. Um, uh, I think there? there's some good. I mean, I think there's there are decks that have game, right? So against this strategy, but for how long? Okay, so as of this week, the Mana Traders February series is modern, and I spent a good chunk of today playing modern on Mana Traders. After uh, eight matches, three of them were Valky decks. Two of them were the four color Valky decks. And what's a little bit interesting about four color Valky is it's crazy expensive because of Teferi and Force of Negation in particular. I believe Valky is also not cheap. And it's like 1,400 ticks online or so. <laughs> what? So on, so on some level, I feel like we're a little bit buffered by the cost of this deck from truly, truly taking over unless people are just willing to shell out the cash. Yeah, I mean, we're sponsored by Mana Traders and can't afford to get this deck. I mean, if we wrote them a nice note, I think that they would probably probably <laughs> let us do it. But um, yeah, Doomswish's list from the other day is 1,330 tickets. 1,330 tickets. But this is Shane, so fresh you- that if you look at at uh, Goldfish's meta game meta table, like what decks and what percentages, this deck isn't even on the it's on the list anywhere. Yeah, Shane, you think there's options? What do you think sure. those options are? I don't know. We were talking about Mill earlier. I think, and I think Burn and Mill get the job done in like slightly different ways with the same goal, which is kind of tr- be able to ignore what the opponent's doing a little bit. Uh, I think Burn can get online really quickly and. Even if Tybalt comes down and ha- you know you might force to you might force them to minus and then you can just bolt them and then Tybalt's gone and they spent uh, an early cascade spell trying to get you know get rid of that get rid of that and you're still on the board and have advantage you have the you have the advantage that you sought to get and I think Mill can do similar things by interacting with the library and also use some of the surgical effects to get rid of key cards like we talked about. So I was playing Burn in Mana Traders today, and I'll say this. I beat Martyr Proc after they got to 30 life. I couldn't even touch four-color Valky because of Uros and Omnaths and the counterspells. Yeah, that that seems more challenging. Just not even close. Too much value. All the real estate. So I think... Certain Valky decks are more vulnerable to these, like all in aggressive decks like Mill or Burn, perhaps. But yeah, part of but me. Four w- Color is not one of them. Well, part of me wonders that Four Color is designed to beat up on the stuff that people are doing to hate on Valky and Cascade, especially. Because it's not, yeah. we're not, we're not trying to beat up Valky the card. I think what we're trying to do is beat up on Cascade, this insanely powerful mechanic that feels a little companion ish. I think, you know, taxes decks are out there too. Like you mentioned, Archon of Amiria. We saw it in a top eight. You know, there's silence effects and Thalia effects. And you also get to apply the clock, mm-hmm. which is what's really important when you play a deck like this. I don't know how many times we've mentioned it, but, you know, it's just like playing a Blood Moon deck. You can't just have the Blood Moon because they can work their way out from under that. And in the same way, if you give these other decks time, they're just going to run, you know, we saw that for uh four sweeper deck right where it's just like okay well your taxing effects no longer work here <laughs> and then you have like you have a you have a you have a weapon on the battlefield and that's it and i i can turn the corner but i think that that's an option right the the real issue is that with the mana and the cards and the creatures that these four color uro omnath style decks get to play is like they just have so many options and they they and good good players will tune the list to handle what people are throwing at them. 
for example, Mick Winsauce, who was playing this deck as well in the Sunday challenge, it looks like, and came in in 12th place, two timely reinforcements in the main. <laughs> That'll help. That's something. Burn. I mean, that's a real meta card being like, I'm going to run this in my main deck. Yeah, I think, Shane, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but I think people are looking at spirits as another way to kind of try to keep this at bay, not only because of some of its counter effects that can't be force of negation, but also because it can go wide. So even if Tybalt does remove one of their creatures, maybe it removes a Supreme Phantom, you will probably still have a board that can maybe just kill it on the spot, on the crackback. Yeah, you really got to keep Spell Queller open for, for that to work, though, because if these decks are running Supreme Verdict sometimes that's going to get you, you know? How about we take a quick break? And then when we return, let's talk about some of the decks that we played. I propose we even start with the deck that Shane played because it's this really smooth transition into <laughs> yeah. a poor version. In, of- into the weekend. I mean, just to, just to be clear, this is supposed to be our Sleeve Believe Heave episode. And so we were testing decks this week in Modern. In, in an anticipation of a normal format. And they're already outdated. But you guys played table decks so we're going to talk about it i I played sad i played the deck that won on saturday and it already feels like it's out of date perfect two days later it's kind of cool really really great on friday five days from now (laughs) fresh as a daisy let's do it stay with us So Stan, what you think? Should we should we go straight straight into the winning deck on Saturday? Do you want to tell people we, what we're doing in this segment? Oh, I guess so. Well, I thought we did before we left. Yeah, but this is in so case we, people skip the breakdown. We give them a sense of what's going on the dive down. Okay, yeah. So this week, as we typically do, about two weeks after the format is here, a new set drops, some new cards drop, and we see how they trickle into the format or perhaps uh, cascade themselves into the format. And we look at winning decks and try to see for ourselves if we think they're real. And that might be something as casual as, you know, cool stuff we see in deck dumps and the 5-0 lists. But there's been new powerful decks showing up that are winning challenges and some cool stuff in the deck dumps as well. And so we thought we would test them for ourselves, see how we thought they felt, see uh, some strengths and some weaknesses and how well we ourselves could do with them in the tumultuous modern meta of Magic Online. Cool. And then give them a grade. Sleeve means uh, we love it. We think it's a total sleeve. We think it's a powerful deck that is here to stay for a while. Believe is we think that it has promise. Maybe, you know, it could be a personal believe, like maybe it's not quite for us. Maybe we think that it's good, but has some tweaking to uh, get done to it to be a real player, or maybe has some strong cards, but the total package isn't there. And heave is, heave it. We don't think it's here to stay. We don't like it very much, and we didn't have a lot of fun playing it. Or maybe we had fun, but it wasn't that good. Who knows? Now, Shane, you did forget one rating. Uh Uh-oh, what's that? (laughs) Double sleeve? You forgot double sleeve. Just <laughs> is double rem- sleeve bad? Yes. Just a reminder that double sleeve, because I hate sleeving my cards, and double sleeving my cards is one of the worst things I ever spent time doing. Uh, double sleeve is when something is so good it's bad. And okay. so I think we might that might come up today, maybe? Let's see. Okay. Um, well, I'll start, because like I was hinting at, uh, I 
took Saturday's winning list out for a spin. And to remind you what that is, uh, this was Smoke and Bacon 27s modern challenge winning list. I'm calling it three drop Tybalt Junskade because that's what everyone's calling it these days, right? Maybe maybe it's just me. And I actually started playing with a similar deck to this one, um, but then I saw that Smoke and Bacon won the challenge with this. And so I uh, added a few tweaks that they had done to it. Shane, I, I just want to tell you real quick today when I was deciding what to play in Mana Traders, yeah. I gave this deck a few matches through the the tournament practice room. Yeah. Just because I w- thought maybe I can play a Tybalt's trickery or a Tybalt deck in Mana Traders and I couldn't afford the other one. So yeah, yeah. And this one's on the bubble. It's like well, like 950-ish tickets, 9, 930. 868 right now, it says. My testing was not exhaustive as yours, but I have just a tiny bit of surface experience with it too. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Uh and so this deck, instead of the one I tested, this this mine had like Murderous Rider instead of Bone Crusher Giant and Main Deck Member instead of Maelstrom Pulse. But I'm kind of ignoring the fact that I haven't really talked about what this deck actually is. And so what the, the basic concept of this deck is the guarantee of hitting Valky, which of course allows you to cast Tybalt, off of any of one of eight Cascade spells, which in this deck are Violent Outburst. Uh, which is the go-to one red green instant one. It gives your creatures plus one plus oh if you happen to have any. Um, and then the other one is demonic dread, which is one black red sorcery speed makes a target creature unable to block. More on that later in terms of the weaknesses there. So that means you you can't have any other two CMC or fewer cards in your deck, which kind of makes it feel like a companion deck. Like it, you have to have some funny contortions where you have like nearly no low cost spells or interaction. And so you're forced to run things like Bone Crusher Giant, which gives you two mana interaction on what is ostensibly a three mana card if you look in the upper right corner. And other things this deck is designed to do besides the fast uh, Tybalt is other three mana spells that can help you take over the game like Blood Moon and Magus of the Moon to you know, perhaps lock your opponent out of the game entirely. Like if they're just, if they played a couple blue white uh, dual lands and you, know, you play that, then they're like, well, what am I going to do with this? I might have to scoop. So the way you're doing this is getting these out as soon as possible with old modern stalwarts of Gemstone Caverns and Simeon Spirit Guide. So if you're on the draw, you have a Gemstone Cavern in your hand, you get to put it down early, exile a card from your hand, you have access to two mana on turn one. If you have a Simeon Spirit Guide in your opener, you have access to three mana on turn one. Uh, Cast your Cascade spell, cast your Blood Moon, maybe that's good enough. Yeah, it's uh, the hallmark of Cheaty Cheaty decks. The world over, whether you're Red Prison, whether you're Eldrazi, uh, Thalia Stompy, you always got to have that package Gemstone Cavern. You got to. And Simeon Spirit Guide together. Two great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> uh, there's some other value cards in here that can also be you know, long game win cons. Things like Bloodbright Elf, which then can hit any of your other spells in the deck. Uh, Season Pyromancer to get some redraws and power onto the board as well. So fundamentally, this deck is a mid-range strategy that wants to quickly make it difficult for your opponent to accomplish their goals, whether that's through a fast Tybalt or a fast mana disruption and your Blood Moon effect, and that's kind of it. Like, that's that's it. 
sort of, I mean, there's more here, but that's what you're trying to do here is, Hey, I'm doing something that makes it really hard for you to play the game, whether that's my, my Tibble planeswalker or my blood moon effect. And then I'm going to be able to take over the mid and long game by making your creature strategy really invalidated with my Valky, excuse me, my Tibble, and start using your cards against you and play my own cards that are high value and then just whittle you down in a Jund-like deck. Any questions before I start talking about the good and bad here? Stan, did you, did you have different thoughts on kind of the fundamentals here? No. No. Good. Good. I, I I still think this is probably a deck that you are incentivized to mulligan toward a cascade spell. Yes, I think that's true. Uh, and that's kind of a weakness of the deck that I'll get into in a second. But I wanted to talk about the good stuff first. At least, at least the good stuff I noticed. There's probably more good and probably more bad to this deck than I experienced. But I'll, I'll say the highs here are really high. Like... In, in most, like, not super aggro creature strategies, like, let's say you're playing spirits or you're playing, like, humans, or let's say you're playing a matchup where a blood moon effect can really take your opponent out of the game, like, the deck does really well and can be a blast to play. Like, I played against a spirits opponent, and they weren't fast enough getting down onto the board, and they also are not great against blood moon effects, typically, unless they're fetching basics, and so I'm stealing their creatures and then playing them back because they cost so little. So like I'm able to sort of get a lot of value off of my, my Tibble Planeswalker. And that was a blast. Like that felt like the best Jund deck I've ever played. Right. Which is just like, Hey, I'm getting so much value out of my spells and you're not able to claw your way back because I have the Planeswalker advantage here. And you know, Tibble's power level is really impressive because of the loyalty that he comes down with and his plus produces uh it's like a plus two right so that takes him up to plus seven i believe with the first plus that's right and then his minus is pretty efficient like it's only a minus three and that can that can exile creatures and also problematic artifacts so like a common play pattern with tybalt for me at least was like to plus up Tybalt to boost his loyalty and then be able to like tick down multiple times while still having a Tybalt on the battlefield. Or it's just sort of like this dance back and forth where it's like you're going down, then you're going back up a couple times and you're going down again if you need to without ever getting to zero. Or you just have like a cascade spell in your hand that you can recast and just get another Tybalt down and get that Tybalt value by using it twice in one turn for you know the low cost of three mana and that works really well i think just like that's kind of me saying why tybalt is good in some way because it's just it's a high value walker that you can use a lot without using it up like sometimes minuses take you to like one off the bat and that's pretty low like even like uh, some mem knight swinging into you you know kills it right and this deck plays sort of like jund where you're trying to keep the board clear on the other side while you're generating a lot of value through all of the Tibble shenanigans, or you're casting your own high-value creatures from your deck, like your Bloodbraid Elf or your uh, Seasoned Pyromancer, and you're just winning the game through that attrition value that Jund is known for. But it's unlike Jund in a lot of ways because a lot of your cards are designed to set up your mana cheating. So like you have like a Simeon Spirit Guide or you're cast cheating like the Cascade spells. And so Jund traditionally has this individual card quality that's very high. 
and you run into some issues of like drawing nonsense that has almost no value for you at times, like this redundant blood moon effect or like a third cascade spell sitting in your hand that you don't need to cast. I mean, this this deck is really kind of more like mono red prison, right? Yes, exactly. Like it, I would say it so. has the engine in it. It's really trading a lot of material to put out a, a big threat or a really disruptive thing early in the game. And then you sort of just like try to settle in and ride that to victory. That feels a lot more like that game to me yes. um, now of course there's there's a lot more play like i'm not trying to say red prison is bad like there's all kinds of cool things that you can do in that deck but it does seem like this is much more like that than this is like any kind of value deck to me for sure it's it's a it, that's a weird dichotomy of it too and that gets me to kind of some of the issues here and much like red prison there are plenty of times when accomplishing what seems like the primary goal of this deck is not good enough like that early Blood Moon effect, that early Tibble is not always going to win you the game. Like Tibble doesn't always really do a lot for you. Like I've said earlier, especially in, in this deck, or like the cards you're drawing is still can be a lot of air and potentially redundant air in this deck. And like I said earlier on in the breakdown is like sometimes your opponent's deck isn't just really doing anything for you because maybe it's just like a, some random artifact that's synergistic or some card that works really well in their deck and doesn't do anything for yours. Yeah, it's like, here's my lava dart. In, enjoy yeah. my lava dart. I mean, and I, I'm sure I'm cherry picking some stuff, but like, you know, for every time I get to do what I said earlier, which is like cast a bunch of my opponent's spirits and then exile any creature they're playing to the board, there's times that I'm just like flipping over their Dromoka's commands in their Naya Zoo deck. <laughs> Or like, or even just a land, which is like fine, but like, I don't always need that many lands. You didn't want to, like, you didn't want to fight one of their creatures and put a counter on one of your guys or make them sacrifice an enchantment or anything. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're still drawing cards, sure, which is good, but you're not exactly winning you the game. And in this deck, you aren't presenting the fastest clock in the universe. And so like you are giving your opponent time to play out their hand that they kept and sometimes that can be good enough to for the, for them to get your Tybalt off the board and you don't have much left. Or they're, they're a deck where the early Blood Moon that you kind of kept in the blind because you mold to five and you're like, well, this is the best thing I've got going with my with my with my deck. And they're like, well, I'm burn. Right. <laughs> or <laughs> basic mountain. And you're like, yeah, oh. or or like I'm or I'm an artifact deck and I don't really care about not being able to, you know, use all of my lands to make certain colors, something like that. You know, like I, I've played Is it Blitz and and that and Burn, then sure, both of those a Blood Moon effect can be a slight speed bump, right? Like you you're not able to cast your one of your best creatures in whatever the heck that thing Dave, what is that thing called? Bright Dragon. You can't cast yeah. you can't cast those. You can't cast your Boros Charms or your Helixes. Yeah, and, and those are speed bumps, but like just like you know, we've said many times, it's like Blood Moon with nothing else against a burn deck or against like a creature deck that oh maybe they can't cast one of their creatures from hand is still like whatever. Like I'm, they're gonna kill you. Yeah, if you don't set um, up a clock yourself or some kind of yes. other plan, you're gonna die eventually. And you know, you and of course, like those aggressive decks that run red typically have a creature or two down and they have direct damage. Like Tybalt's pretty easily taken down, even if you exile one of their creatures. Like I had that happen more than a few times when I was playing any kind of creature-based deck, like Naya Zoo or uh, Is it Blitz or Burn. It's like Tybalt is not amazing even early all the time, even with its high loyalty, right? And then post-board players are able to plan against your moon effects so it's almost like 
what's the point of these moon effects? Like I'm really racing to try to get a Tybalt and hope that I can get the job done. Or, you know, I mold to, I mold to four and I still have to go for this blood moon and just hope that they, you know, were, aren't able to fetch up basics. Like maybe they're just hoping I don't have it type thing. And maybe I disrupt them a little bit, but that kind of gets me to the next point, which is it's slow. The deck is really slow. Like your interaction is slow. It's at earliest a two mana shock from Bone Crusher Giant Stomp. And otherwise you got like three mana spells like Anger of the Gods or Maelstrom Pulse. And, you know, that's how you're dealing with the opposing permanence over there on the other side of the battlefield. And sometimes that's just not what you need because you're not operating efficiently enough to stop what they're trying to do. And there's so many problematic cards and decks out there for you, right? Like in 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 decks like these, it's hard to deal with hand disruption when you're mulling for like these engine cards and then they're taken away from you. Uh, there's people who are planning for facing down decks like these now, especially like just a couple of days after they sort of appeared. Like you're seeing efficient counter magic that the opponent isn't going to give you the opportunity to play around because they know that they don't have to. Right? It's like if the earliest thing I'm doing is a three mana like uh, Bone Crusher Giant or a three mana um, uh, Pyromancer. It's like, okay, fine. I can deal with that with my removal spell while I keep up my counter magic for your cascade spell. And, you know, like I faced down like main deck mana tithe in red, white land destruction for Pete's sake. Nice. Right. And that was just like, well, that stinks. Well, that's a red, white staple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then perhaps more importantly, I think the deck isn't really designed to beat the other decks in this cascade meta that we were seeing quickly appearing already, right? Like, and that's a flaw that a deck like this really just can't have right now. Like you can't play Teferi 3, you're not casting Force of Negation or Mystical Dispute, you're not even casting that Mythical Mana Tithe or Spell Pierce or Silence Effect or Deafening Silence or whatever. Like, so the style of deck might have seemed or been powerful even just like half a week ago. Like we're already seeing the meta shift to counteract strategies like this. And I think that those decks still have more self-contained power while still having game against the mirror. And I think this deck is sort of like a, it's like a weird, like you said, Dave, it's like almost like a, a prison cheese deck with some jund elements. And I think that we've, we've somehow already moved past that, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought Mana Tithe was a common. <laughs> Is that important for you? Interesting. Well, you said nope. mythical. Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. Look, Stan, what did you think? You played this deck for a little bit. What did you think about Jund, Valky? Yeah, so it's... I, I don't want to go into too much detail about the deck I played in more detail, but I think this was the perfect deck for, like, Saturday and maybe Friday. But by the time we picked it up, it was just too late. Because I think it was doing something really effective against the previous week's metagame. See, I don't even know if I agree with that. Like, I went I went like 05 in a league and didn't face down any, like, super crazy tech. I didn't face down, like, you know, some some counter, counter Valky deck. Did you play like, against Tibble's Trickery, though? I didn't play against Trickery. Like, I faced down, like, I faced down creature decks that were getting going and going wide enough that, like, my Valky wasn't doing enough. I was facing um, like, you know, combo-ish style decks that they didn't care what I was doing. Like I faced on Mill and Mill was just like, hey, I don't care. Like, I don't I don't care what you're doing. I'm just going to mill you out type stuff because your clock's so slow. Like, I don't even know. Like, I think like if I had been able to face down, I don't, I, I don't know what this is trying to beat. Like, I think it was just like maybe creature decks that weren't going as wide or as fast or didn't have quite as much, you know, main deck uh, burn type spells that... You know, that would allow me to get a foothold and a toehold that uh, allows me to turn the corner 
but I just never, I didn't experience that. And, you know, maybe it was a run of bad luck. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is just the first deck that someone really felt like, okay, a build of this is really red heavy. Okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna take this red prison mechanic kind of archetype, and I'm going to put Valky, the Valky engine in it. And I don't have to stretch too hard if I play Demonic Dread and Violent Outburst, because they're both red, so I'm just splashing the other side of it. And, you know, the first couple of prototypes we saw of lists like this with Valky were always kind of in this zone. And then someone else looked at the trickery decks probably and said, oh, they're they're running Ardent Plea and they don't even care. So what if we just played Valky with Ardent Plea instead of having that only be in the in the trickery in the trickery decks? And that's how you end up porting over into some of the other things that we saw on Sunday. Yeah, and that's an important thing, too. I, I hinted at one of the issues with the cascade spells and um ardent plea doesn't require a target right by the way yeah okay and neither does violent outburst demonic dread you have to have a target you have to have a target creature that to be unable to block and so even like m- much of the time demonic dread wasn't something i could even cast early if i wanted to and and that was really bad often so it's just like oh hey even half my engine cards that are almost always total blanks in, in and in a good part of the game uh, can, can be truly useless. Sounds like a heave. Well, I don't think it's... Okay, I don't think it's a heave. It's okay I to heave that, it, Shane. I don't know. I, I think this is something that is like a indicative of a deck that is not Shane's forte. No. In terms of like... It's, this is a deck where that requires understanding how to generate long game value and try to invalidate what someone else is doing really efficiently because if you mess up at all or like you keep the wrong opener or you put too much value in the wrong card like early on like i think it requires like really understanding your game plan and i didn't have that with this deck or you could just have a good run where it's like okay i went up against a a bunch of decks where my early blood moons or my early tibbles did get the job done and i was able to know when i needed to plus and when i needed to minus exactly perfectly and and you know, got the max value out of everything I was doing. And I think there's opportunity for that. So, I mean, I think it's a believe, but I think that with the way that we are seeing the metagame evolve already, it's not really something to believe in for the long term because people are already invalidating what this deck is trying to do and getting their own game plan online that's stronger than what this deck does at all. So even in the best case scenario, the other Valky decks are better. Right. And and I think that's why if nothing changes in modern, this version of this deck is a heave because it's already been invalidated. It's un- I think the reason it's unclear to you what this deck is trying to beat up on is because the decks it was trying to beat up on barely exist anymore too. Like yeah. I, I think this was a deck for a very specific time while people were still figuring out how to really capitalize on the power of a turbo tybalt and maybe things can change in such a way that jund becomes the most efficient way to play turbo tybalt but until that happens i think this is not the deck and i i would bet that we're not going to see much more of this in high level play or at least not in big numbers yeah i mean like imagine doing something like even when you're when you think oh those four color decks don't really have a lot of basics like you get a blood moon down they're gonna have a really hard time imagine just like okay i want to jump through these hoops i mold to five i got a turn one or turn two blood moon down and oh force negation (laughs) it's like okay cool yeah i mean the thing i was 
going to say is that, okay, so I think that one reason someone might consider playing this deck still is because they could afford it with their trade, with their mana traders account, potentially, you know what I mean? Much more so than the other ones. And so I think in that context, we're saying, don't bother. If you want to play Tybalt, I wouldn't try to budget it this way, right? Do you feel that way, Stan? That's my feeling. Yeah. So even if this is something you can reach with your rental accounts, don't. (laughs) Just don't. Just don't. And so I think that, okay, so we've spent a long time talking about the deck, which is great. This deck may be out of time. I just want to add one thing to your comment about rental accounts. Just play regular Jund. Just play hand disruption Jund that isn't trying to turbo out Tibble. Like, play better interactive spells because I think you're going to have probably better luck against all the shenanigans going around than trying to play a worse version of Turbo Tybalt. See, I think that's news you can use right there. Um, but my question is, should we talk, close the chapter on Valky Tybalt for now? Please. We talk about what we think should happen, what we think will happen, kind of some of the stuff that we circled around a little bit at the end of the breakdown. But I think it's time for us to put our takes on the wall, which is where takes go. <laughs> Well, we haven't we haven't heard Stan's experience. Stan Stan's got some Tybalt Valky stuff that he did. Not really. I no, you I, did. no, I played Tybalt's Trickery. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I played yeah. the good deck from last week that's now unplayable. Okay, let's let's yeah, let's tie a bow on it. Where do you want to go with this, Dave? Well, okay, so you played the deck some. You faced yeah. the the blue deck some. Stan has faced the blue decks. I didn't in my playtesting somehow. I faced a lot of trickery decks. I didn't face this somehow. When did you play? I played on Saturday night, mostly. Yeah, I know, right? How things change in like 48 hours. That's what I'm talking um, about. So what do you um what do you guys think? People are already clamoring for bands or some kind of rule change. Like the decks won in every format this week. Are we <laughs> hopping on that wagon yet? Are we hopping on the bandwagon or are we Wait, why why not why not change the rule? The card still does what it was intended to do, I think. Just, yeah. just change the change the cascade rule. I think that's an essential bare minimum. Just like right now, the ruling is kind of weird and sloppy and, and even unintuitive. The fact that you can cascade into a spell that costs more than the cascade spell doesn't make like any why, sense. Like why in an oops all spells deck is, you know, it doesn't look at the backside of the card there. I mean, like I, I understand that magic is a very complex rule engine, right? And I appreciate that aspect of it. But it's just like like Stan said, it's it doesn't if it's not intuitive and it's a super easy change to make, just go ahead and do it. You already we already have the precedent mm-hmm. with even just the split cards. So mm-hmm. go for it. Companions, like less than a year ago. So do you think that we should change it because it's so powerful that it's gonna last? Like or is this portion of the metagame gonna last? Is this just something people think is fun right now? Or do you think it's something we should do just because it is probably a better rule to have implemented in magic? Or both. Who thinks this fun? Doom switch. <laughs> people like winning. People like people like winning. Yeah, I mean, people like to win. I, I think. I think fundamentally, we know that MDFCs aren't going anywhere. This is a problem. And so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like if they want to put, if they want to keep doing, hey, I'm a cheap card on the front and I'm an expensive card in the back. And I'm going to give you some options. Let's just eliminate this expensive card on the back. You know, cheaty type stuff. Because it's just going to happen again with something else, and and that's one thing that Watsi has used as precedent in the past, which is like it puts pressure on the way we design cards in the future. We don't have to think about it. We'll just change the rule. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, right. Fixing Cascade, I think, will future proof it. Now, does that mean that these decks are suddenly not insane? 
because I'm worried that anything with Teferi and Uro and Force of Negation might still be a problem. And the only reason we're not talking about Uro anymore is because there's just like something stupider happening in what's essentially now the Uro decks. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, you know, I like to be the tempered version that's like, don't ban anything. Let me play with cards. Everyone wants to play with their cards, but I'm starting to drink the Kool Aid that modern is in need of like really significant changes to undo a lot of harm that's going to continue to occur because of how insanely powerful cards from the last year have been. And I would love something on the scale of Mox Opal and um, Oko and Microsynth Lattice Ban, like all at the same time to just like completely reinvent the format overnight. Because I think we're just going to keep seeing like a handful of really problematic engines just find new ways to be absurd. Are you guys enjoying this lower uh, lower power level from Kaldheim? You guys loving it? I was going to say that how wrong everybody was like i don't even feel guilty because everyone was like oh yeah this looks very reasonable i don't think that has to do with the innate power level of the cards besides you know valky being cheatable in the tybalt i don't think we're seeing a ton of other cards make a big splash yeah i mean it just feels kind of like a weird exploit right now right that people are just taking advantage of and they need to fix it i guess is probably the best way to think about it because like you said modal double face is going to be around they've said that they're going to use that that tactic and design more often so i feel like it probably should should go sooner rather than later what, what do you want to see go the cascade i think the cascade rule should be fixed as well i guess um but man i hope they do it soon it's been a weird couple of months like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of uh there's a hand at the tiller as far as modern goes because it's a totally separate issue like you said like even before this week we had Uro problems and there's a chance that Uro still needs to be dealt with in some way. And so, like, yeah, we're going to do multiple bands. I mean, they're separate <laughs> issues, but maybe it's the uh, maybe it just has to be done. All right. So, Dave, I, I do think you're right. I think we kind of exhausted the Valky slash Tybalt Planeswalker well. And I want to go to some other some other Tybalt's shenanigans with Stan. You said you were testing trickery decks. Are they still a thing? Not by the time I played them. Let's just stop the episode now. Let's go to the extended wind down where we talk about what video games we're playing. Yeah, how's that new Breath of the Wild knockoff? It's it's uh, it's long. I'll tell you what, they give you an awful lot to do. But no, for Stand real. Stand for a deck you hated. Trickery. You've got five pages of notes on, <laughs> on Sybil's trickery here. I'll be Not quite curious to hear. Many. All right, so trickery won the a modern challenge last week. And I think everyone was like, what? I think it won a modern challenge. At least it was the talk of the town last week. And at the time, I tried to be tempered, and I tried to compare it to week one conspicuous Snoop decks as like this flashy new combo that the format could settle around once people found a way to interact around them. And and I believe I even said that I think trickery could be a way to push modern to be more mid-rangey and that that could be a good thing. But then a few days later, I was doing a modern league, and I got paired against Tibble's trickery, and... This is, I want to say it was Tuesday or Wednesday, so kind of in that deck's heyday, and it was really bad. And I got destroyed basically on turn one or turn two, just back to back, at which point I I essentially thought, this is insane and huge, and this deck is out of control bad. And we're talking about trickery, right? Mm -hmm. Not Valky. How'd you feel when you woke up on Sunday? (laughs) Rested. Hmm. So for this week's episode, I decided to figure out 
you know, which version was more right, which opinion was more right. The one that thinks that trickery is manageable or, you know, this panicked elf player who thinks that something needs to be banned ASAP because magic as we know it is dead. Uh, Which is really funny to look back on because I did all this testing over the course of a week as like this deck was ultimately getting outmoded. But we'll still try to talk about it in earnest because I think there may be some lessons here about really the impact of this set on the metagame. I played two versions of Trickery. One was what I like to call all-in Trickery. And you may have seen this one. It's 51 lands, four Violent Outburst, four Emrakul, and a single copy of Tybalt's Trickery. So this was like the Sodek list, right? Yeah, or the Frank Karsten deck. Yeah, like just the the prototype prototype. But you had you were doing the sideboard stuff, right? You mean fifteen primeval titan cards in the sideboard? Yeah, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff, yeah. Which made me fall in love with Primeval Titan. Oh in, no. In an amazing way. That deck is something. I tried All to right. fix I tried to fix Primetime up with Shane and it didn't work. If it worked with you. It kind of did. I don't know if we'll have time to talk about that, but I'll I'll, I'll mention why I, I thought that was really fun out of the side. The other version that I tried to play, um, this was the more redundant and ramped version of Trickery. So it does include Ardent Plea, Simeon Spirit Guide, and Gemstone Lands. And I got this list off of an MTGO player named Source Odin that went undefeated in a prelim with it on February 4th. Yeah. This one also this one also has uh, Through the Breach in it too, right? Did that one, you, your list didn't? I've seen that in some of the lists that I've played with trickery which is uh seems like a nice backup plan yeah that does make sense my version did not it did have a couple of valky in the sideboard but i at that point i was not testing valky in earnest it was just this additional access that you can potentially side into to capitalize on all the cascade copies in your deck Mm -hmm. so across these two decks i did three leagues um i ran back the more redundant ramped version uh with a final record of 510 Mm. Went 2-3 with uh, all-in trickery, and then 2-3 and 1-4 with the redundant version. Not my Dive Down Boy's putting up big numbers this week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait till we get to my decks if we if there's time for Hemorrhaging tickets. my decks that didn't matter. <laughs> I earned those tickets by playing Ponza, and all that hard work and fun was just completely undone over the course of a single weekend. All right, so I'm going to talk about the decks and trickery in more detail, but I just want to tell you now where I ultimately settled after playing this deck firsthand. And this is going to come as a surprise to no one based on the weekend's results, but Tybalt's Trickery is not the new Hogak. It is not tier zero. And thankfully, it does not functionally invalidate opposing decks that people play. However, piggybacking a little bit on what we were just talking about, I don't think it's okay. And it's similar to some of history's most unreasonable decks in that it needs something to change or go because of the rules engines at play are, I think, think potentially antithetical to what magic is about wow okay yeah all right let's talk about the decks yeah let's talk about the decks. starting with the 51 land version this one is very fun but it is a glass cannon though both decks are pretty ceramic but games with (laughs) this deck are decided very quickly and very easily and in so far as not caring at all about what your opponent is doing like this deck is perfect it's it's an actual literal one-trick pony you do not have any way to ramp into your cascade spells. You literally have to mulligan until you find a violent outburst, and your success is entirely contingent on resolving a trickery that you cascade into. So this deck loses a lot, and it's really easy to beat for that reason. And basically, for all those reasons, I think it's a meme. So if your opponent is on the play and has a hand disruption spell during their first three turns, you're probably going to lose. 
If your opponent can counter your trickery, even with a remand, you're going to lose because casting your single copy of trickery out of your hand just does nothing. Mm -hmm. If your opponent has a blood moon before you're able to fetch or draw a basic forest, you're going to lose. If you naturally draw your one copy of trickery, you're going to lose. And then if you mulligan to one and never find an outburst, what do you think is going to happen? Definitely lose. <laughs> so on the other hand, there are games where your opponent just is not disruptive enough at all. And, and then you just you just win because maybe you drew multiple copies of outburst. Maybe they tapped out too soon. Maybe they're playing elves. In general, the odds are on your side when you goldfish. But I don't think that any of us believe that expecting to goldfish successfully is a winning strategy in modern. And that's really what this deck is relying on. It's really a winning strategy when I goldfish. <laughs> I usually lose when I goldfish. Me too. It's weird. I also think that the sideboard Titan plan was a very reasonable plan B. In part um, because Blood Moon is the only way that's strong a against both sides of this deck. So the pre-board and then the transformative sideboard, you can disrupt it with sideboard, but like your thought seizes or even counter magic, not as good against the primeval Titan deck because you do have cavernous souls in your Tyrbolt's trickery brew. So if people bring in extra copies of duress or inquisition, your Titan plan is just consistent enough to run them over. And likewise, Titan plus Dryad plus Field of the Dead nowadays is such an easy deck to play that you don't even have to worry about being really clever when you transform into like a deck that's on rails. It's so easy to play Titan now. If, if there's no amulets in the deck, that is. I mean, that's hilarious and unfortunate. Where you're just like, yeah, I'll just make a bunch of tutus. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just do that. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I finished the League 2-3. I beat Tron and Rakdos Goblins because neither of them could interact. And I got lucky and I won fast. But my losses are important because against Blue-Eye Control and Jund Valky... I drew my trickeries and just lost on the spot. But also, I think there was a lesson that you have to refine your deck so it doesn't lose to itself. And that was kind of the thing that makes this deck so stupid. It just loses because sometimes you draw the literal best card in your deck that you don't want to draw. Yeah, you have to hit it off of a different mechanic and there's no way to recover from when you do draw it. So you're just done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Blue White Control got me under a Cryptic Lock as well in a different game. Rakdos midrange felt essentially unbeatable because they had hand disruption and blood moons. Yeah. Like, I, that's something I, I didn't really mention either is I played against like a Rakdos, uh, excuse me, a Mardu shadow list. And it's just like you said, it's like when you face down hand interaction, that's still out there. Even if we're seeing just a ton of these four color decks that are hoping to counter what you're doing if someone gets out ahead of you with just a little bit of interaction and you are a glass cannon deck that's never a recipe for happiness or success right and that john valky deck that we just talked about i feel like one of the things that made that deck strong is it was able to beat up on these trickery decks because it has the blood moon plan in addition to this tybalt plan that can mm -hmm. capitalize the top of your library because tybalt is going to be in some cases happy to find extra copies of your cascade spells keep you from casting them so that you know maybe you need to cascade again to get like something i don't know some other card in your library that's good okay so that happened and i decided let's try a version that doesn't lose to its draws and that's when i fired up eight cascade trickery so now we have a little bit of ramp sideboard with counterplay including teferi time raveler it has wear and tears and dismembers likewise the main deck has a lot more hits than you're just for Emrakul. It now has eight Emrakul, four Ulamogs, 
and eight ultimatums. It also had a couple copies of Omniscience in case you drew into your big payoffs and then you could just cast Omniscience. So it had eight ultimatums? What are those? All right. It had Genesis Ultimatum, which is the new teamer one from Elob. And then it had Brilliant Ultimatum, which is the Esper one from Shards. Oh, right. Yep. So essentially, it's these are additional ways for you to cast Big Eldrazi for free. So this version of the deck introduces some new trade-offs. Okay. On the one hand, you have Simeon Spirit Guide and Gemstone Cavern. So you can cast your Cascade spells as early as turn one. And I think that's big game. On the other hand, sometimes you cascade into Simeon Spirit Guide, and then you lose. You also have multiple copies of Trickery, so you don't lose if you draw it. And maybe like if you have five mana up, you can cascade, hold control, and then Trickery your own cascade spell, which is the same. And then you have more redundancy among your cascade spells, so it's easier to beat hand disruption or, or potentially draw into extra copies rather than just banking on you know one of four violent outbursts that you sided into. But you also have hits that add a bunch of RNG to the deck because ultimatums can whiff or you hit an omniscience with nothing in your hand to capitalize on it. Yeah. And likewise, I didn't really feel like you were improving bad matchups because hand disruption is still a problem. And unless you have a post-board to fairy, counter spells are still a problem. And then you run a single basic forest, but only six fetch lands. So blood moon can still be a huge problem. And long story short with this one, it doesn't suddenly make Tibble's Trickery more foolproof. You know, opponents can still beat you without significantly diluting their deck, even with game one surgicals or, or ley line of the voids like we had to do to survive 2019. So this is where I currently stand on Tibble's Trickery. The deck, whichever one it's in currently, probably going to be pretty easy to beat. It's probably going to lose to itself. And most mid-range or control strategies just already have the tools necessary to keep something like this in check without it really having to twist and turn to beat some kind of new tier zero. Yeah. And then again, we're living in an environment where people are running a, a better deck that has more pieces than just what this deck's doing. That also invalidates what this deck is trying to do by playing counter magic, by playing Teferi three, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the fact that we barely saw these decks in the modern challenges, very telling. You have to be really lucky to do with them, do well with them repeatedly, and they just can't keep up with everything else that's going on. But maybe I was ultimately right that it's kind of like a week one conspicuous snoop, but not nearly as good without the staying power. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's still some kind of like iteration to be done on these decks, especially since, you know, you talked about the build that you were playing that had the ultimatums in it. Like I said, the build that I've seen a little bit is through the breach, which lets you take a different path towards mm -hmm. uh getting a, a big hit in with a with an eldrazi titan and getting some benefit off of it and then seeing if you can go from there uh it just feels like yes. there's different things that that might happen with this deck still depending on what happens with the metagame i mean clearly so having a ton of teferi in the metal metagame right now is a bad thing for a deck like this and this one has less fair play than um than the four color deck does without its own access to teferi you know what i mean so um I still think there's something here, probably, ultimately, when I, it comes down to it. I know what you mean, because the power of trickery in a vacuum is evident, since your ceiling is a turn one, Emrakul, and that is really strong, and that does win games. And I think it's perhaps within reason that Tibble's trickery can one day be applied to a stronger, more reliable strategy. But power level aside, I'm not sure that I like that this deck exists either. Different question, but fair enough. Yeah. Different. Okay, so combo is one thing. But these are just 
coin flips that I kind of worry have nothing to do with what magic is about. All right. If some amount of the field is occupied by a deck that can win on turn one because they mulligan to their combo, who is that truly good for? And does the game benefit from something like that? And another way I'd phrase it is this thing I'm wrestling with is, and, and really would love your thoughts on, is that line of encouraging the format to be more interactive so that games can be engaging in decision driven resource battles versus forcing the format to be more interactive so that games can be decided by a coin flip that just demands a single card response or risk an auto lose. And Force of Negation is this really great example. It's this card that's really effective against these Cascade decks. But is Force of Negation a tool that's like making control strategies more interesting because now they can play to the board a little bit and tap out and have more tools with their hand and their resources at the cost of another card? Or are they just a safety valve meant to protect us from turn one combo decks and i'm not sure if there's any era of magic where turn one combo decks were received well because there was force of will in the format yeah i mean you know my take on this right which is like as much as i have liked playing mull to four cards you need to make tron or mull to four cards you need to Uh, go off with dredge on like turn two or turn three type thing right i don't think that that is how we want the most powerful decks in the format to be and again it's just another one of those instances where it's like did you have your hate did i have my counter hate was i able to get out ahead of you and just create an insurmountable uh, advantage or an insurmountable roadblock like by with my teferi three that makes you unable to do a lot of your game plan it's just it's it's not magic that I think for most people is fun because it's too die rolly and it's too coin flippy and it's it's not exactly like you said it's not exactly allowing you to maximize player skill. Counterpoint, please. I think there are a lot of people who like playing decks like this, you know, and I I I don't know how decks like what decks like that are these like cheesy wild you know turn one they have the potential to do stuff on turn one like it's exciting for people to pilot decks like this now i don't know if that means that they should stay but i do say say like i don't you know saying something like i don't think anybody wants to play magic like this probably not true you know like there's a lot of people who like to do stuff like this but you know there was supposed to be a guidepost in modern that was kind of like hey we're not going to do stuff that wins uh before about turn four you know, and we're so far away from that these days. And there's any yes. myriad number of reasons why that's happening. But um, I do think that there's a case under that old turn four rule to be made to get rid of something like this. Now, we're at like 10 days into a format and yes. we're already talking like bandwagony stuff kind of things here. Uh, I just don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know where this ends up. I don't know how if this sets a precedent for like, hey, we're going to ban every deck that becomes a two card combo. I mean, what happens to Oops All Spells? Oops All Spells is a one card combo. Realistically, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't know where we're where we're at with all these kind of different things going on in the in modern right now, for sure. Um, I don't mind that decks like this exist, but I also find it a lot less tilting when I lose to them. You know what I mean? Because I'm just like, wow, I I just got one of the bad fail rates. Like they, I know that they fail all the time. So I just got one of the bad ones where they 
they didn't get there or they got there. They got there before I could. Um, I, I, I think the problem comes up is when they don't fail all the time and when they fail less than 50% of the time. And that's the thing I'm really worried about. And, and you know, to your previous point that there are some people that like playing decks like this. Yes, there are people who like playing combos, but I think there's interesting combos that, to Shane's point, force you to like assemble a certain engine to win. And then there's the combo where all you have to do is mulligan to a cascade spell. And I think people who like playing that, which certainly exists, I think what they like is quickly winning or losing without having to worry about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And potentially stealing a lot of easy wins. And it's not their fault. It's the game designer's fault. I don't begrudge anyone who plays these decks at all. But I don't think that these are the signposts of fun, healthy, long-term, engaging formats. Because again, when Force of Negation is just like your thoughtless, obvious play on turn one, because if you don't cast it, they win off of their stupid combo, then I don't think that's a decision-driven game. I think that's just a game where it's like, you sunk my battleship. Mm -hmm. Ostensibly less skill than that. All right, so we're saying ban Cascade. (laughs) Ban Violent Outburst. And then Stan is also saying... Banned Tybalt's trickery. Okay, so real talk. Let's 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 go back to ban again. Can we just ban the cascade spells? Maybe. I mean, I mean, the whole the whole thing just still works. And I guess it doesn't really work because uh, Tybalt's trickery can just get your Emrakul or your you know whatever any other big thing. So I don't think you can ban the cascade spells because I think that we've seen decks operate with them that are fine-ish, right? There's combo decks that use Cascade that have never overtaken the meta, but have been perfectly fine to play in them. And, you know, Bloodbraid Elf is not going to get banned anytime soon. I mean, why would anyone ever ban Blood... Oh, it was? (laughs) It's got Cascade. It was banned? It was banned, I think, at some point. And then it was unbanned. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't... I think that we're seeing... It's it's weird. The the Tybalt's trickery and the Tybalt Planeswalker problems are are two very different ones, but they get at kind of the same fundamental issue, which is gemstone caverns. Yeah, and how do we want to play Magic, right? And how do we yeah. want to play modern Magic at least? Like, what do we want modern to be? And I think a lot of what Wizards asks for is the community to respond to like you said, Stan, the new conspicuous snoop or the new neo form or perhaps the new Tybalt's trickery, right? And they they wait to see what will happen. They look at quote unquote non-mirror match win rates and things like that. And and if there's legitimate metagaming that can happen. And if they don't, then they start to make actions. Uh, the, the, the real question is, is like, why does this keep happening? Perhaps, yes. right? And that's a much larger question than we have remaining in our episode recording time. Uh, But it doesn't bode particularly well if you like slower, more interactive modern all the time. I mean, force of negation is interaction, right? I mean, that's the kind of spell I think control mages love having. And, but like you said, is it just an anti combo, you know, hate card? That's not what I think people want out of their force of negations all the time. So I think it's potentially reaching a point similar to surgical extraction in the days of Is It Phoenix, 
where we're going to see decks like spirits and humans and other decks that are barely touching blue. When we, when we saw Merfolk do it, you know. Well, Merfolk is all blue. Yes, exactly. But if we get to the point where spirits and humans are running Force of Negation, I think that's when we need to kind of look at ourselves in the mirror and wonder whether or not we want these singular cards that are necessary to keep a thing in check, especially a card like Force of Negation that's only had one printing and cost a million bucks. Yeah, I mean, Force of Negation, I think, has and will be run in Spirits. You know, it runs it runs to Fairy 3 sometimes, too. You know what I mean? I think Spirits is the kind of deck that we've that we've talked about and that it can be good because it has the disruptive elements, right? It has the spell quellers that you love casting, Stan. You know, it has the Teferi 3 that you can main if you want to or sideboard. It has Force of Negation and other counter spells that you can play that gives it that disruptive element, the, the reactive disruption that humans can't. Uh, but I think that there is so much blue that's one reason that it can be strong again. And that I think that we've seen it kind of peek its little spirity head up out of the woodwork through the floor, even. Slept a weird goop in the outline of a human. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, it's slimed. It's not coming up because Coco is super popular or super powerful and modern right now. You know what I mean? Because right. it's, it's not it's particularly coming up because it's really, I think, just because Mausoleum Wanderer is really good. Yeah. Like, well, Mana Tithe, I think, is good. Yeah. And paired with Spell Queller, of course, you have eight creatures right, that I, fly. But I keep losing to Wanderer. Like, well, yeah, by the time Queller's online, it's already too late. It depends. I mean, there's if you're in Bant, you can accept you can have Queller up on turn two if you're on the play, and that's reasonable. And you you can always stop the second one, that's important too. Yeah, and you can stop and you can stop the Supreme Verdict. So, I think that it's like like a rule of eight kind of thing where it's like Mausoleum Wanderer by itself might not be enough, but a deck that has four of each makes it more possible to be in play more often. So, are, do you guys think this is less of a problem than I do? Mm, I, I think that it's being overshadowed by other problems in terms of the decks that we're seeing. I'm curious what will happen if, like, let's say they change the way Cascade works tomorrow, but Tybalt's Trickery still works uh, um, to get you know your Emrakul online or something like that. It's not great. I just have a hard time knowing what the difference is between this and Dredge, or this and you know breach neoform or neoform as well or or, or even or, just yeah grishol brand or any of these other decks that are kind of in that same space i is this one worse than those i don't know like what makes one of those decks bannable I, I don't know right now like but there's a whole universe of decks over there i mean ad nauseum is is in over in that zone too where it's like which ones do we keep and which ones do we ban like why is storm okay and why is this one not okay i guess mostly because it's a one card combo but then we have oops all spells that's still around too so there's just a lot of messy stuff in these like rng decks right now yeah i mean i'm reluctant to split hairs over the examples you cited but Dredge can be hated out with a whole bunch of different technology by a whole bunch of different decks, including no shortage of artifact-based answers that anyone can run. Yeah, I mean, but you could play, you could play... And, it, it, and Dredge doesn't win on turn one. It doesn't put down an Emrakul or a seven-mana walker on turn one. That's true, too. So... Double sleeve? <laughs> Double sleeved. <laughs> We, we do have time. And Dave, you played some other decks. I think in the spirit of the modern that yeah, the, we want. And the, tr- the true spirit of Sleeve Believe Heave. I, I, and I, like, I really want to hear how you felt about your stuff, especially Cosima, even though that's deck number two. Like, if we had time to get to Cosima. 
We'll do it. God of the passage. I'm curious. So just imagine, dear listener, take a break, relax. I want you to breathe in. Let's go to the people's modern. Let's go to FNM. Right. Breathe in through your nose and breathe out through your mouth. Let's take a couple of breaths. Imagine you woke up tomorrow in a place where Tybalt didn't play any tricks on the cosmos or anybody else. And you were like, what cool cards would I want to play from Kaldheim right now? Because that's apparently what I did this week, where I just was like, I am going to play Pyre of Heroes this week in Goblins and give it a try, see what I think about it. And uh, then I chose another deck. So just in the interest of trying some a, a broader range of cards, let's see what's happening on the fair side of Modern. So I decided to go back to the early spoilers, and I chose this Goblins combo deck from the 5-0 dump last week, piloted by a player known as Pi Gonti. Now this player picked up Everts deck. So it's it's Everts uh, Aspiring Spikes Goblins combo with Pyre of Heroes. And in case you forgot what Pyre of Heroes does, because it's too fair for you, it's Birthing Pod, but it's tribal. And so Pyre of Heroes is a two colorless for an artifact with the activated ability of two colorless tap sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with a sacrifice creature and has converted mana costs equal to to one plus that creature's converted mana cost. Put that card on the battlefield and shuffle your library. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. It's Tribal Pod. So, you know, I think that a lot of people, this made a little bit of a splash early in the spoiler season. People were really interested in it, trying to figure out where it would go. I don't think it's too hard to see that Goblins has the most natural fit for an additional kind of uh, synergistic card like this that helps you pick out the pieces that you want more often. What do you guys think about goblins before the last week or so? Like, where does it sit in your mind and decks in modern? Conspicuous it doesn't. You mean? Yeah, just like regular conspicuous snoop before before uh, Pyre of Heroes. I think it's a great tier two combo deck that is potentially piloted to great effect by the masters, but tough and not particularly inviting to people who aren't already interested in it yeah it doesn't take up a lot of space in my modern brain right now perhaps it should yeah i mean i agree with stan i think it's like tier 1.5 it's probably a really good creature combo deck it's probably in a better place than like devoted druid is right now you know so that's kind of where i think it is benchmarking wise before kaldheim came out and so adding this other engine to the card seemed like something that could make sense. So the way the Goblins works, I'm sure people are familiar with it. It can win via the combo with Snoop Harbinger, Kiki Jiki, and Siege Gang Lieutenant. You can get some card advantage from Conspicuous Snoop and Goblin Ringleader. You can get a go-wide plan off of Goblin War Mash, Marshal, and a Lord. You find the pieces you want from Goblin Matron, and you do tr- tricky things and accelerate with Aether Vial. So it's got a bunch of really powerful cards in it. That's the deck. Uh, so the list that Aspiring Spike went with, basically he went 15 and 5 with the deck over a few days. Uh, and it's been adjusted to make space for Pyre of Heroes by doing one or th- two things compared to old list. It cuts down on Skirk Prospector, which is a popular card for people to use for acceleration in Goblins. And then it also cut down on the occasional bits of main deck interaction that this had, like Tarfire and Inquisition of Kozilek, stuff like that. I thought it looked cool. Uh, it's a mix of mana acceleration and searching that Pyre brings to the uh, the table. So it's kind of this interesting spot where it can help you 
power up to higher mana cost creatures, but also find the pieces that you want. Goblins, though, is a super complicated deck, I think. It has a lot of different angles to get a win. I think you really have to know what you're going to search up with Goblin Matron, what you want to get with Pyre of Heroes. You know, you have to figure out if you're going to race to the combo, if you're not going to do it. So I did really badly with the deck individually. (laughs) Uh, I don't think that was necessarily because of matchups, although some of it was because of matchups. Like, the deck really doesn't do well um, in a combo-ish metagame main board because you don't have any hand disruption. You don't really have any way to stop people's combos. So if you're trying to combo off and you don't go as fast as them, you're pretty much in, in trouble. And so I got to imagine against the the Valky decks, you would have trouble with somebody who resolved the Valky early. I think that with the Tybalt's Trickery decks, I found you don't really have any way to interact. And occasionally you can sneak by by having enough uh, permanence out when they get Amrakul out. But um, it's not really a great fit for right now. But the, <laughs> why is that, Dave? I mean, because modern's broken in half. So since goblins grinds surprisingly well, I'm going to talk a little bit about how Pyre works in the best situations. So what Pyre does is it gives you even more options on how to grind into your mid game, and it gives you an extra angle to go and grab the combo. So comboing, let's talk about that really quickly first. You can't combo into conspicuous snoop off of Pyre of Heroes really because you don't really have any one drops. So you can't like you have one Skirk Prospector. Sometimes you can sack that to go to get Snoop. It's not really what you're trying to do. What you're mostly trying to do is go from two to three because you have a lot of two drops in the deck. So you're mostly trying to get set up and then go and grab whatever three drop you want to have that makes your deck uh, advantageous in the situation that you're in. So either you're going to grab your Bogart Harbinger to try to finish off your Snoop combo or you're trying to go and get a Chieftain or Pashalik Mons if you want to go in a wider game plan direction. You can also use your two-drop like War Marshal to go and get Matron to go grab Snoop and then cast Snoop. And so that's a way that you can kind of loop around what you're trying to do to make it make it happen. And then, of course, if you want to go from three to four because you want to go to my, kind of more of a card advantage kind of plan, you can use something like Goblin Matron to go and get a Ringleader to draw you extra cards off the top. You know, you only pay two mana for a ringleader when you do that. So you might have some extra mana to be able to cast the cards that you just drew off of ringleader so you can rebuild your board pretty fast. You might sometimes go and get Siege Gang Lieutenant because uh, that's a way that you can sack a wide board to be able to kill somebody. And then occasionally, very occasionally, you would want to grab Kiki Jiki to be able to do something like copy a couple of munition experts or something like that to be able to give you more. Um, more creature kill or, or something like that. It can be worth it. I don't think it's going to come up that often. And then, of course, the one wombo combo to keep in mind is that you can sack a Goblin War Marshal and get an extra token when you sack it. So if you use that as your sack target, your board kind of stays neutral. So all in, what did I think about Goblin or, uh, Pyre of Heroes? It feels a little slow to me. Hmm. Um, I think that it is powerful, And I think if I had played a little more aggressively to the search plans with Pyre and put more emphasis on keeping hands that just had Pyre and a Goblin or something like that, I might have done a little bit better. But a lot of times I found myself still going hardcore into the Snoop combo and not like giving myself a chance to play the other game plans. When you say it's slow, is there like an ideal state where it can lead you to some kind of game winning condition by turn X? See, I think that it's interesting because I don't know that it's really there to make your combo better. I think it's there to make your whole deck 
better, you know, because Goblins is already pretty good at getting the combo out. I think what this really, and so that's something that I think I had as a little bit of a, a miss, um, misnomer about playing the deck myself was that I thought it was there to just make the combo better. So a lot of times I'd be like, well, I have venues to get to the combo, so I'm not going to bother trying to pyre into it or taking the time to play pyre or anything like that. When really what I should be doing is playing pyre early to try to threaten being able to grind if they do kill my combo pieces, not because I can like activate an instant speed to Sacco's cards because you can't do that. So it's not that kind of value. It's just kind of going like, hey, if you kill my combo piece, I'll go search up something else to be able to move on my way and like make make all my cards better than they are right now. So it's it's giving me another angle other than just trying to win via the combo. Mm-hmm. You know, Spike said on stream last week that he basically kept any hand that had Aether Vile or Pyre of Heroes. And I thought that was pretty interesting and not a not a concept I got to test as fully as I would have liked to when I was playing the deck. So I think that pretty much when it comes to it, I'm kind of a believe on Pyre in the shell. I don't know that there's a deck that's better for it in modern, though I think there there might be because I do think that it it is po- a sort of powerful and well-balanced birthing pod effect. And I feel like it might have the right mix of what people want to be able to have a card like this be reasonable. So, you know, I wanted Vanifar to be good a couple of years back, maybe you remember, but Vanifar dies too easily. Right. This card, mm-hmm. because it's an artifact and it's pretty cheap to ca- to cast, doesn't die that easily, but the tribal restrictions are a real thing. And so you, re- you really have to think about how to use it. So I'm a believe on Pyre. Is this a better, is, is this a better stand in for pod than Vanifar then? Uh, I mean, I think, I think it's better in the sense that your deck will probably work better yeah. than it than yeah. it did with Vanifar, but I'm not sh- I the tribal thing is is problematic so you have to take it in a whole different direction. Yeah, I was going to say can you imagine any other homes? Like I know that I saw Spike doing like a clerics life gain like uh um who's that gentleman who has protection from humans? <laughs> Oh, pretty, Yogmoth. Yeah. Like Yogmoth. There's like a Yogmoth. There's like a human cleric. And like he was doing like some pretty sweet stuff there. Like, do you think there's other homes where Pyre of Heroes could see play? For sure. I think this is a card that is powerful enough to see play somewhere eventually. But it has to be the right modern too. Like, like I said, right now, I don't I don't think it has a home because it it's not force negation. But it's going to be a piece that's around that people can tinker with. Yeah. Okay. So let me go through my second deck real quick because we're running low sure. on time. So the other deck Surprise. that I played, because I got I got tired. I mean, we talked about the important stuff. So this is fun for everybody. This is the wind down, really. Yeah, for Let's people who about, are still listening. Yeah, we're going to talk about Pyre of Heroes. The people who didn't tear all their hair out at the at minute uh, 80 of Valky talk. Um, so the second deck that I tried, like Stan mentioned, was Bant Snowblade with Kosima. And the wildest thing about this is that the place that I got the deck list for this was the 5-0 deck dump list. And it was also piloted to a 5-0 by Pai Gonti. So Pai Gonti had two decks in the, the 5-0 dump that I looked at from this. Uh, Goblins and this one. And I just want to shout out that player. Uh, their name is Andrea Pimonti. It's an, an, an Italian uh, 22-year-old magic content creator and player. So uh, check them out if you want. The list that I looked at was Bant Stoneblade featuring four Kosama God of the Journey. So this is one deck I haven't seen in a while is just Bant 
in general with the Stoneforge Mystic package, but it's kind of what you would imagine. It's Noble Hierarch, Stoneforge Mystic, Spell Queller, Teferi 3. It's got Uro and Kosama in it, Path to Exile, Mana Leak, and then uh, On Thin Ice, Utopia Sprawl, and your general equipment. So Sword of Feast and Famine, Fire and Ice, and Batter Skull. So here's what I would say. Hit me. It's a good... This is... Part of this deck is good because Uro is good. Okay, like... (laughs) Imagine that. Like, it didn't seem bad. It's interesting. It's kind of in the mid-range space, but it has a more kind of narrow version than the four-color one. And it lets you do, like, the Stoneforge plan if you want to. And then Kosama, I'm not going to read Kosama because of time constraints. It does that wild thing where you can exile it, and then when you play a land, you can either bring it back or put a counter on it. And then when it comes back into play, you draw cards equal to the number of counters that are on it. Um, it's like a layaway plan. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, though. It's kind of this big, slow card advantage engine. You know, three mana is not bad. If someone kills it, you're kind of okay with it. It's almost like you you can play this and then play out Stoneforge Mystic to be able to kind of like give yourself some resiliency against Stoneforge Mystic. Uro is, is it's kind of like a backup Uro sometimes too, where you're like, oh, I want a card that's going to be sort of big. I can't escape Uro yet, um, but I can play this instead. So it's got this weird kind of overlap between being a lightning, lightning rod and being a backup card draw spell. I have seen a number of different times people compare it to Tireless Tracker. Did you feel like it was a blue tracker? Uh, I did. It's it's a bit slower than Tireless Tracker, but it does have that nice benefit of being able to be off the battlefield while it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when you decide to bring it back, finally, you, you're you guaranteed to get all the cards unless someone nimble obstructionist or tails ends your trigger, but um, which they do. So I, I, I think playing against Spike a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's not a bad comparison to Tireless Tracker, although it's nice. Um, it's nice to get all the resources at once, I guess. But of course, it also plays incredibly well with fetch lands is a big part of it. And it plays incredibly well with Uro because those are all things that let you play, uh, get extra lands into play on, on a turn, right? So you get more triggers and more triggers and more triggers. Um, I got it a couple of times where, you know, I would get three tr- uh, three triggers on a turn, leave it in exile, and then bring it back and draw the three cards and feel like I was just absolutely winning. You know, it comes back, it's a five, seven, it's this huge creature. It's been on its journey. And, um, you know, that was pretty good, but I really think that it's like clearly not a card that's anywhere near as good as Uro. It's really not as good as, as I think it's maybe a little better than tireless tracker in some builds. Maybe like if you look at that comp, because it evades removal, I think it could be a little bit better in that sense. But um, I don't think it like radically transformed this deck. Although I will say, part of the reason that I think this deck is even possible right now is because this deck is trying to accelerate into a three-mana answer to what's going on in the meta right now. So it's trying to accelerate into a turn to, it's kind of like Ponza in a weird way where it's like, I'm going to drop a three mana to fairy time raveler, or I'm going to have spell queller open for when someone tries to do something really broken on turn two. So it's kind of like utopia sprawl and noble hierarch are trying to make that happen in the same way that utopia sprawl and elves do in a kind of Ponza build where it's like, my answer is going to be reactive instead of uh, something that blood moons you or something like that. So 
part of the reason that I felt like Kozuma fit well into this deck too is because it's just three CMC. And so if you can drop this on turn two, that's not too bad either. It's not too easy to kill it if you do. So bottom line, I liked Bant Stoneforge a while ago because of the ramp and because of Noble Hierarch. Um, one thing that I also think is interesting here is that you can use the Omen Kill to make your Stoneforge Mystics be able to attack as a bigger creature and potentially get some kind of like card draw off of that, which is kind of a nice thing to do with the backside of Kosuma. But um, clearly with the power level of stuff that's going on right now, this is again one of those things that's kind of like believe-ish, believe-minus-ish. It's not a slam dunk, but it is a very cool card. I'm, yeah, I like that a card like this is playable. Like, I like the fact that, you know, it doesn't need to, to be the new linchpin of the deck, but it can be valuable enough that it's worth playing. I think there's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we want to see, right? Yeah, incremental improvement, new options, not new broken things. <laughs> All right, so let's peel back into the real reality of modern as we as we shut it down. So maybe these decks will be good in the future, Pygonti. I hope to see you again next week in the soup that is modern right now, piloting something like this to a 5 again. I wish you luck. I mean, here's a question for you guys. If you're going to try to qualify in mana traders, what do you do? A- assuming you're not springing for the most expensive deck in the format. I'm just going to play, is it? If I try, honestly, is it Blitz? Interesting with is it Blitz, like if you wanted to, you could probably like run a few spell pierce side. Like you could get some really cheap interaction using blue mana Could probably run the main i was thinking that that's the big question is it's not it's not side it already you already have stuff like that in the side but uh it's ma- main is the question like do you do you try that yeah why not i, I i'm interesting i'm interested to see like you said you played burn this week stan and had you know, middling results uh i might test just standard old burnout because it's always a deck that i've enjoyed playing i might you know learn how to play mill why not Go for it. You've played it, just, it already. Has... Our first ever bonus. Oh, man, that was so long ago. It's changed a lot since then. I don't know. It's got twice the crabs. I feel like I, I definitely can't I can't join them on this one for a variety of reasons. Uh, one being cost and two being player skill. Uh, I don't have it to, to do these kind of decks, I don't <laughs> think. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, go fast. The, the real issue is, is like, you're going to start... You have to expect like to ferry three. So like hammer time is no longer anywhere near as, as cool as it was because like of the decks that you're going to be facing off against. So like if I'm going to try to get under these decks, how am I going to do so? Um, you know, something like Rakdos Death Shadow is probably how, how bad can that be right now? I mean, you have tons of, of interaction and you have a very potentially very fast clock and recursion with Luris opportunities there. I don't know. I think that something like even uh, Rakdos Death Shadow could probably be tuned. And that's the kind of deck that I think that isn't bad because it didn't show up. It's probably because the type of players that were playing Rakdos Death Shadow are now playing like the next best deck to play on Magic Online and farm with. I mean, I'd be taking a look at Spirits too. I mean, honestly, sure. like why not? I'll tell you guys, don't try Elves. Someone I wasn't keep, gonna. Is that how we close every episode? I'll tell you guys, don't try Elves. The, all these new call time cards added cards into modern elves that like a few people are getting the trophies not not stan hmm. maybe i'm not as good of an elves player as i think i am well just because you are an elf doesn't mean you can pilot elves <laughs> all right that wraps up this week's show 
If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or prick our brain on something in modern, historic, pioneer, limited, you can ask Dave about old limited formats. You can find us over at The Dive Down on Twitter. Just one word. You can also email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can also support the show by signing up for Mana Traders with coupon code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. If you play Magic Arena, you can download the Untapped deck tracking software at untapped.thedivedown.com. Helps support the show without spending any money. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week... Get out there and Simeon Spirit Guide cascade into Tibble!